high atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Talking Catholic. I am Mike Walsh, I'm your host, and you can tell it's going to be a special episode um, because I don't have a co-host and I'm introing the episode and that almost never happens. But, um, well, actually, uh, this is coming out on depending on when you're least listening to it, either Easter Sunday or Easter Monday. So happy Easter, everybody. We have a very special episode for you today. And uh, I do have a, a little mini guest. Uh, our little intro is going to be about nine minutes because you're going to get 46 minutes of uh, the recent presenter we had in the Diocese of Camden regarding our Eucharistic uh, Congress. So with me today is Donna Ottaviano Britt. Hey, Donna. Hey, Mike. How are you? I appreciate the title, mini guest. You, well, mini you are, guest. You are you are a, a small slate woman, so that that, that works. <laughs> okay. So, uh, um, the, um, now you know you. So you were on last episode, and we talked a little bit about how successful our Eucharistic Congress was. Right. Um, before we talked at length about um, the Catechism and Father Mike Schmitz, which was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The three of you couldn't have been more breathy about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But this episode is all about our Eucharistic Congress, and we recorded uh, Father Patrick Hyde's three English presentations. Uh, We had three Spanish presentations as well um, by Father Joseph Jean-Louis. But um, we we do have those recorded, and we'll release them somehow, some way, as soon as I get a translation of them. Um, But the English ones, we wanted to provide to our listeners uh, who might be interested about what Father Hyde had to say during our Eucharistic Congress. Yeah, I think it's really great. And I appreciate the fact that they're recorded, Mm -hmm. because I think people who attended the Congress would love to listen to them again. And I also think those who couldn't attend will derive great, great pleasure and uh, a deeper understanding of the Eucharist, right? Yeah. So there were there were themes across those talks, which we'll talk about in a minute. I also think these would be very helpful to the Eucharistic revival teams that mm-hmm. are being stood up in parishes now as we prepare for the Eucharistic revival to transition from diocesan responsibility to parish responsibility though we'll we're going to support all the work yeah. that they do and the the parish phase starts in june i believe right yes with the right. feast of corpus christi so the hope is this diocese will be filled filled with eucharistic processions yes that is that is always enjoyable to watch on corpus christi and be a part of on on, uh, on that day um plus you know i'm a big fan of i'm a big fan of anything that takes place outside of a church so if you're having your procession and you know your church does it as they walk around the inside of the church tell them to walk around the outside mm-hmm. of the church because you never know who's going to see what's going on and take an interest you know i, I would agree with that and i think as much of an outward sign as we can be, I think is very beneficial. And I also encourage parishes to think about how you communicate what you're doing and provide an invitation to that community in which your parish resides so that they're ready for it and that maybe they wanna come see, you know? So I think we should think about all of those ways that the Feast of Corpus Christi is something really meaningful and we can build enthusiasm and excitement for in our broader parish communities and not just inside. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, you know, we we asked Father Hyde. Where's Father Hyde from, by the way? University of Indiana. And he heads up the... 
He's the pastor, essentially, of a 50,000-student campus, and he runs the the Catholic Center there for all the students. And he is one of the uh, National Eucharistic Preachers um, through the the National Eucharistic Revival. And we put in a request for a Eucharistic preacher, and we got him. And I have to say, he was here for four days, and uh, he made everybody very happy. He was really an impressive speaker. Yeah, he was. And I think, you know, and looking at where he spoke, he spoke to all of our high school students. He did a family and youth night. He spoke to our priests and deacons for their Lenten Day of Reflection, diocesan employees, and then the Congress on Saturday. So we really kept him quite busy. I'm sure he slept all the way home on his plane (laughs) on Sunday, the Sunday that he went home on March 26th. But we really had asked him to touch on three themes, especially at the Congress, right? So, And you could hear that if you went to multiple places and, and were able to hear him over the week. But what do we believe about the Eucharist, mm-hmm. right? And why is there a Eucharistic revival? And I'm going to quote Father Hughes, um, who actually doesn't necessarily love the word revival in what we're trying to do around the Eucharist. Because what he says is the Eucharist doesn't need to be revived. The Eucharist is alive. Yeah. It's we who potentially are dead. Yes. You know, so I love the fact that he says that. So I try and share that. Um, maybe he won't like it that I'm sharing it on our podcast, but I think it really rings true and it helps people understand why are we having a revival? It's because our people, you know, Catholics, maybe think the Eucharist is a symbol. Yeah. And the Eucharist is alive. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think Father Hughes uh, likes to say, it's more of a renewal than it is a revival. Yes. And it's us who are being renewed, yes. and not the Eucharist. Right. Um, the uh, No, no, it's, it is important. And, and Father Hyde, uh, you know, it's, so he, he did have multiple engagements while he was here. And each of his engagements was slightly altered depending on who he was talking mm-hmm. to. So when he was speaking with the priests and deacons, he definitely altered his presentation to really speak to them. Same thing for the high school kids. But the Eucharistic Congress is where actually was his longest speaking engagement. And it's actually where he went into the greatest detail uh, regarding the Eucharist and its impact on our lives and what what it can do through us, you know. And um, so it was a great presentation. I, I was there. You were there. I will tell you that we've gotten nothing but positive feedback about the Congress. So it's it was really a great event. So and let's face it. And I. You know, I'm going to let you know a little secret, folks. I was in a USCCB meeting uh, recently with all of the other diocesan communications directors, and the head of marketing for the Eucharistic Renewal said, or Eucharistic Revival said that the Diocese of Camden was really killing it, <laughs> saying that you know we're doing a great job. And uh, you know, I know I make fun of other dioceses uh, by referring to them as lesser dioceses. But I keep being proven correct because I want other dioceses to do everything that we're doing. It, it was it was a great experience. It wasn't particularly onerous. Yeah, we worked on it for a year, uh, but it's what we're supposed to be doing. And and we had such a great return. I mean, we had a thousand, we had more than a thousand students, hundreds of young, uh, you know, public school youths. We had. 120 clergy and then what several hundred diocesan employees on top of the thousands of people who came to the Eucharistic Congress that was a great event and I'm very happy that I put went went through a year of anxiety to make it happen because isn't that the way it is right it's like oh please please Jesus let this all work out the way that you would have it work out and I I think having come through it uh, and listening to Father Hyde talk about the Eucharist and what do we really truly yeah. believe about the Eucharist? That was his first talk. And the second one was really, how is the Eucharist 
uh, opportunity of encounter. What's yeah. our encounter? Do we know it? And he told his own personal stories mm-hmm. about encountering the Eucharist. And I think we really need to think about that. Where's our encounter with Jesus? Where's our encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist? And then the last talk that he gave was, how do you prepare to go to Mass? Because he gave that last talk right before we had the liturgy, which was, you know, for the solemnity of the Annunciation of our Lord. So really, what is it like? I mean, a lot of times, and listen, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I'm just flying into the church and flying into the pew and like, okay. But I'm really here for something amazing. This is the thinness of the veil really between you know, this world and the heavenly world. So yeah. thinking about it that way, I should be a bit more prepared. And so he talked about that. Yeah, he was great. And uh, well, we have all of that recorded. So you're all going to be able to hear about it in, in just mere minutes. But um, I would encourage, in addition to the diocese, uh, our, our parishioners and our parishes, not just in the diocese, but everywhere, to really, really grab hold of the Eucharistic revival in the second year and make it a... a, a a significant part of your diocesan work this year or your parish work this year so so everybody that's it thank you donna for this little brief intro and yeah. uh enjoy father patrick hyde at our eucharistic congress good morning everyone it's so good to be with you all as donna mentioned my parents met at holy thursday mass so if your children or grandchildren want to have a priest for a son send them to mass next holy thursday That's how God works. That's also the old Irish Catholic way. The first son gets the family business. The second son becomes a priest. And so here we are. And we're here for one reason. It's because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, brothers and sisters. He is risen from the dead. Amen. It's so easy for us to look at the challenges facing the church, facing our own faith in the culture, and it's easy for us to grow disheartened. It's easy for us to grow uh, cynical and frustrated by everything and anyone that's challenging the church. But we stand on the sure foundation that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he is living among us, not only in spirit, but he is present among us in the Eucharist. Thanks be to God for that. And so let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your church. We ask you to shower your blessings upon the Diocese of Camden and all of those here in South Jersey that they may know your love and then they might come to grow in their faith and in, their, in particular through their encounter with you living in the Eucharist. We make this prayer in your most holy name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the great blessings of my priesthood in life is that I've spent the last seven years working on one of the largest college campuses in the country. There are about 48,000 students on the campus of Indiana University. And it's beautiful because you get the full spectrum of what's going on in our world. You see the godlessness, the radical individualism. You see all of the challenges that face our church, not only socially, but culturally, and even theologically and philosophically. But the light shines brightest in the darkness. And as a result, we're also privy to seeing some of the most beautiful and powerful conversions that you could possibly imagine. 
People who in any way, shape, and form were so far from the Lord. God didn't exist in their life at all. And yet they have come to know Jesus. They have come to give their lives to him. Something is happening, especially in our work with young people and on college campuses. And we need to pay attention to that. And I'm here today in many ways because I firmly believe that what's happening on so many of our college campuses, as difficult as it may be, is a Eucharistic revival. Is that our young people are searching for meaning. They're searching for love. They're searching for acceptance. And they're searching in the world and they're seeing it in so many difficult ways. And yet they find in Jesus, not in the spectacular of the Eucharist, but in its simplicity, love eternal. Jesus has a deep and abiding interest in each and every one of us. When we stop and think about it for one moment, the only thing that could possibly explain how all of us are here today is God's love for us and Jesus Christ living in our lives. We're from different countries, different continents, different places. We have different experiences, not only of our origin and culture, but also our walk with the Lord. And yet, from before all time began, God chose us, God loved us, and we've responded with our yes to be here today. Thank you, Lord, for that great gift. But before I get into talking more about the Eucharist itself, I think it's important for us, because I feel like today I'm talking to, in a way, the special forces in the church. The people who know Jesus, who want Jesus to be living and effective and more effective in their lives, in their parishes, in their friendships, and in their family. And so I want to challenge you a little bit today. Oftentimes, my brother Dominicans in Bloomington, they say that my preaching style is like a barbarian standing on a hill swinging a hammer. So you're going to get a little bit of that today. I'm going to start with a little bit of in-your-face reality. It's a lot worse than you think it is. As positive as we are and should be because we have the answer, we have the truth in Jesus Christ and his church, it's a lot worse than you think it is out there. Internally within the church there is division and increasingly so it seems at times. Not only do we see division within the church, but we have seen in studies that have come out recently that many people in the church or who at least identify as Catholic don't believe that Jesus is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Not only that, but culturally we're facing a real uphill climb because the prevalent understanding of who God is and what religions, religious, faith, religious faith looks like is increasingly defined by a secular experience that most people would recognize that there is a higher power. There is something that at, least, at the very least created the universe. This is still true. There is atheism to be fair. But most people still believe that something created this world. But that something, whatever it may be, doesn't desire relationship with me. How could it? If something was so powerful to create the world, how could it possibly care about something so insignificant as me? But if there is a God who is involved in my life, it's only when I need something. We treat God, especially our young people, as if he's the magician who comes into our life and pulls the proverbial rabbit out of our life's hat and then disappears. We also recognize that there's a radical individualism. And sub the subjective reality is for many people, especially the young people of our time, the only reality. Your truth, my truth. 
In fact, most people, especially the young, would say that the only thing that they can really know is what they have experienced, what they know to be true because it's affected them in some way. That the only way to know anything is to experience it. And so there's no objective truth. There's nothing that unites us other than that we're all kind of bouncing around in the universe trying to figure this out. We also must address the fact that there continue to be lingering effects within the church and people's opinion of the church because of the sex abuse crisis. And then also we have to recognize that the pandemic and all of the effects that that had, those still have a massive effect on people. Basically right now on a college campus, my assumption is that a college freshman has the maturity of a high school freshman. Why? Because they missed almost all of high school. This is going to have an effect. It is having an effect. And we need to be attentive to it. Because ultimately what we're seeing in our culture at large, and it, we're not immune from this, and maybe each and every one of us is experiencing this in some way, what we're seeing is a quiet epidemic of lonely people. At no time in human history have we had a greater opportunity to connect with people because most of us have one of these things floating around in our pocket. I can connect, I can pull this out, I can call my sister in Florida, I can get, connect with one of my friends in LA, I can call someone, who, my, my classmate who lives in Hong Kong, I can do that right now. Why then are people so lonely? And I think ultimately the things I listed out are leading to loneliness. Because we search for meaning and purpose, we seek to fulfill our desires in things that are finite, in things that at some point and in some way, shape, or form will let us down and will only create a greater thirst or a hunger. The billionaire John Rockefeller was once asked, what's enough? How much is enough money? And there's various ways that it's quoted, but he basically said, one more dollar. When we look and put our value in the things of this world, it will never be enough. It'll only create a greater hunger, a greater desire, a greater need for something. And so we see lonely people. In fact, what should shock us and shake us to our core is that in recent studies, the loneliest generation reporting themselves as lonely is the youngest. At no point during these studies has any other group than the oldest group reported, self-reported as being the loneliest. But now the generation that has greater access to more people than any generation in history reports loneliness at staggering numbers. And in fact, I saw a study a few weeks ago where 60% of these young adult women who were surveyed, 60% of them in the last year sought out professional help for their mental health and well-being. This is a staggering challenge for us within and without the church. But the beauty is this, is that we know the answer. St. Augustine tells us so beautifully, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Jesus has made us for unity not only with himself but with each other. This is why we as Catholics believe it is of the utmost importance for us to be together at the Sunday Mass so that individually I can connect with the God who lives but also that each and every one of us can connect with God and with each other and build up his kingdom in its beautiful, diverse form that he desires. We must also have the optimism of Pope Francis 
In Laudato Si, Pope Francis tells us that rather than a problem to be solved, the world is a joyful mystery to be contemplated with gladness and praise. In Evangelii Gaudium, his first apostolic exhortation as Holy Father, he said, instead of imposing new obligations, Christians should appear as a people who wish to share their joy, who point to a horizon of beauty, and to invite others to a delicious banquet. Pope Francis is challenging each and every one of us to point our lives toward Jesus and to invite other people to be a part of that. Because the freedom, the joy, the peace that comes from the Eucharist is not just for me, it is for everyone. As a result, we have a unique opportunity in our church for this Eucharistic revival. People are hurting, people are lonely, People are desperate for what? For relationships. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is here. And Jesus is with you. He is calling you to be transformed, to be renewed, to find revitalization, and to take that out into the world. In the Eucharist, something so simple, bread and wine are transformed, transubstantiated, in fact, into the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. It still appears like bread, it still smells and tastes like wine, but it is Jesus. And what Jesus does with that bread and wine, what he will do on this altar in a couple of hours, he desires to do in your heart and in your life also to radically consume and transform you so that your unique and beautiful gifts are still manifest, they're still there, but what is inside has been transformed and turned into the living God. This is the vocation of all Christians, not just those of us who are called to the religious life or to the priesthood, but for each and every one of us to be consumed by what we eat in the Eucharist, to become one with him so that we can then share Jesus with the world. Jesus is there. But here's the challenge for each and every one of us. The old way of doing things doesn't work anymore. And that's okay. Things change over time. I do not dress in the, well, obviously I wear a habit, so maybe I'm not the best example, but maybe you don't dress like your great-grandfathers who wore three-piece suits and top hats all the time. Why? Styles change. The needs of people change. And that's okay. But so often, we like to stay stuck in this worldview where the church and my parish and the institution is the most important thing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says to you, I am with you to the end of the age. He does not say your parish, your school, your hospital, your ministry will be with you to the end of the age. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. He is challenging us in this revival to open the doors of our hearts, not just the doors of our church, to go out to the people who are on the margins and in need, to engage them and to love them. How and why? Because we have found Jesus, because we have been transformed. And there's a fear that each and every one of us experiences in this, that we will lose something, 
I don't like the fact that we could change. I don't like the fact that this might be something new. And Pope Benedict, God rest his soul, in his first homily as Pope said to each and every one of us, but in particular to young people, are we not perhaps afraid in some way if we let Christ enter fully into our lives? We will lose something. If we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? And once again, Pope John Paul II said no. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No, only in this friendship are the doors opened wide. Only in this friendship are the doors open wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. And so today, with great strength and conviction, I say to you, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away, and he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open wide the doors to Christ, and you will find true life. Now is, as we heard on Ash Wednesday, the acceptable time. Now is the time for each and every one of us to open wide the doors of our heart to Christ. And here's the challenge, because I've gone through this, you've gone through this, we all will go through this throughout the course of our life. When we open wide the doors to Christ, there are things in there that we do not want to be in there. There are things in there about which we are ashamed. Lord knows when I was sent to a college campus, I thought to myself, they're sending me to a college campus? Do they know what I did in college? And yet, when we open wide our doors of our hearts, of our souls to Christ, he transforms everything. He uses everything in our life for his good. Our simple gift becomes something powerful because it is Jesus living and abiding in us who is taking control. And so we have to ask ourselves when we open wide the doors of our heart, where is Jesus here? Do I believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist? And how does my life reflect that? And if not, how can the Eucharist change my life? Because the Eucharist has the power of the infinite. The Eucharist has the ability to change our life in less than an instant. Jesus is here. What are you holding back? How can you open your heart to him so that the presence that he has in the Eucharist can be the presence that he has in your life each and every day. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. Thanks be to God. Good to be back with you again for this afternoon session. Thank you again to Father Joseph for your talk. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you come to us. You, the infinite God, 
come to us intimately and personally so that we might become one with you. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our souls to receive your grace, your love, your mercy, to transform us so that we might continue to do the work we were made to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. People have been asking me throughout this week, how, how, Father, how are you finding South Jersey? This is my first real time in South Jersey except for a day trip to Atlantic City when I was 22. I was there for, I think, less than an hour because when you're 22 and only have $20 in your pocket, that goes quickly. But it's been such a blessing. But it's also been such a beautiful reminder of what unites us. On Tuesday night, I was having dinner at the bishop's residence and prayer, and I was, they're, they're using all these Italian words, and I'm from St. Louis. There's an Italian little area in St. Louis. I live in southern Indiana. There's an Italian restaurant in, in southern Indiana in the town where I live. And I don't know what's going on. I'm feeling such a foreigner. But the more and more I've spent time with you and the more centered it has become on Jesus, the closer we become. It allows us to be united, not only with God, but with each other. God desires to come to us. About a month or so ago, about two months ago, in fact, right when the school year was, or the semester was getting started, I ran into one of our students who was preparing for confirmation. She was being prepared to receive into the church. And her story was a long gradual conversion. One of our focus missionaries had been working with her for about two and a half years. And she was finally ready to come into the Catholic Church. And I was asking her a little bit about her story, and she told me a very beautiful and powerful story of conversion. How God met her each and every step along the way, and invited her and encouraged her. And as we heard in that beautiful testimony right before lunch, was gentle and patient with her. Several times throughout her story and her encounters and walk with our, one of our missionaries, she kept pushing back, saying, oh, well, I just can't believe that, or the church is wrong about that. But God kept coming to her. God was so good to her because she was living the very college-typical life, no God in her life. It was all about the here and the now and what she felt. And she was scooping gelato in the one gelato place we have in Bloomington, Indiana, and in walked this focused missionary and said, I want to walk alongside you. I just want to get to know you. I want to hear your story. And right before Ash Wednesday, that young woman was received into the Catholic Church. And now when she receives Holy Communion, she glows. She almost floats up to receive our Eucharistic Lord. God continues to meet us and encounter us wherever we are. And oftentimes, he comes to us in our lowest and darkest and most difficult places. When we are suffering, when we are feeling lost, when we are feeling abandoned or rejected, when we are feeling shame, God comes to us. I stand here before you as a priest and as a religious only because God came to me in those moments also. I spent a semester uh, in college studying abroad in Galway, Ireland, which meant I spent a semester in a pub in Galway, Ireland. <laughs> my dad couldn't quite figure out where all my money was going, and I, then he came to visit, and he understood. And then at the end of the semester, I was going to travel around Europe, and I was going to see the sights, 
but I wanted to be with young people and I wanted to live life and live it to the fullest. And yet every step along the way, God kept inviting me deeper to be spend more time in the church, not because it was beautiful, but because he was there. My first stop was in Krakow, Poland, and I couldn't escape the church. Every time I'd go by a church, I felt drawn to go in and I couldn't explain it. And it was so beautiful and powerful because I was feeling so homesick also when I was in Krakow because I realized I wouldn't be home for Christmas for the first time in my life. I'd be alone on Christmas because I didn't really travel with anyone. And yet the next day on Sunday morning I went to Mass and the Gloria was sung and it was actually sung in Latin. And although I didn't know a word of Polish and still don't, I knew that God loved me in that place. I knew that I was home. Not only that, but he kept pointing and finding me throughout the way. I spent Christmas Eve in Assisi, and at the midnight mass there in the cathedral in Assisi, I remember seeing this beautiful young woman who had a shaved head, who just was so in love. She was a postulant for one of the Franciscan groups. And here I'm thinking to myself, that woman has a shaved head, and yet she has more joy than I've ever had in my life. There's something there, Lord. And eventually this led me to go to confession at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And after that confession, I felt like I flew out of that church. Because I went to the Lord and I went with some pride and vanity because of all my confessions in college, I'll be totally candid with you, that was the least offensive. And so I was like, yeah, I'm actually doing pretty good. And the priest tore me apart <laughs> in such a gentle and paternal way as only a father can do to a son he loves. But I could feel his love, and I could feel his challenge. And he said to me, you are made for something more than these sins. And I knew in that moment that God had come to me and touched me, had freed me from my sin, and I knew that whatever I was going to do in life, it was going to be of service in some way, shape, or form to Christ and his church. And this Eucharistic revival is truly about this type of encounter. Not just the one encounter like St. Paul has on the road to Damascus, but the continual encounter that Jesus desires to have with each and every one of you, each and every time you come to Mass. We want to be a more Eucharistic church, a truer church, a church that is on fire from the love that comes from God and the grace that builds us up. It's an opportunity, therefore, for each and every one of us, for our parishes, for our ministries, for all the things we are involved with, to actually stop and say, is an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist the center of what we're doing? And if it isn't, why not? And how could it be? This is what the Eucharistic revival is. Jesus is coming to us, changing us, inviting us, Opening us not to a time of how do we close, how do we consolidate, how do we go and just be sad about ourselves, but to a time of hope and joy. And the beauty of the Eucharistic revival, this encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, is that no two people, let alone two parishes, have the same experience of that encounter with God. There have been moments in my life where I've been at Mass and my whole life has fallen apart and come back together during that Mass. And the person sitting next to me has felt nothing. And vice versa. Where I've been at Mass and one of the brothers in our community would say to me something that happened to him in his heart that day at Mass. And I couldn't even remember what the Gospel was that day. 
The power of the encounter with Jesus is that it has that capacity to change us. And even when we're not ready, it does change us because it's Jesus who we are encountering. And there are different ways of living this out. The Eucharistic revival and an encounter with Jesus is going to look different in your life than it will in mine. Why? Because for the vast majority of you, you're not male religious who are priests who serve at the campus of Indiana University. I think I'm the only one that applies to here. But we're all called to that encounter with Jesus. Your parish needs you and your ministries and the groups that you're a part of to have that encounter, to change your lives, to be open to what God is calling you to, to see the infinite and the possible, not to worry about all the other stuff, but to live in that hope and joy. That just as Jesus came to you once and changed your life, he desires to do it again and again and again. Imagine this for a moment. A church fully alive where everyone in our parish knows that they are desired and chosen and transformed not only by Jesus but by our community. That they are known and loved. And this isn't just the kind of encounter where we greet each other before Mass. What a cheap thing that is oftentimes. We welcome people here. Well, what do you do? We say hello before Mass. Okay, how long has that person been sitting next to you at Mass? 22 years. Where do they live? I don't know. This happens all the time. We settle for the simple encounter, but God does not do that in the Eucharist. He comes into our entire life He goes into the depths with you. That young woman who was recently received in the church, why did she keep coming back? Because there was someone who cared about her and kept inviting her and got to know everything about her life. Not just the things that were good. Not just the things that made her seem like a good Christian or a good Catholic, but everything. And it is only in that encounter that vulnerable encounter where everything is exposed, where we can truly be transformed. That is the encounter with Jesus that each of us is called to every time we go to Mass, that each of us is called to bring about in our parishes so that we can, as St. Augustine so beautifully puts it, be consumed by the Eucharist. When we eat the Eucharist, St. Augustine tells us, It is Jesus who consumes us. I don't know about you, but I just had a sandwich for lunch. It was quite delightful. I am no more a sandwich now than I was before lunch. But in a couple hours or a few few minutes here, we're going to celebrate Eucharist with Jesus. And after receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, I will be more Jesus and so will you. Because when we receive Jesus in the state of grace... He conforms us to himself. He makes us one with him so that we can be him for other people in our life. That young woman who came into the church was transformed by another young woman who comes to Jesus every day in Holy Mass, who spends an hour every day with Jesus in adoration. Why? So that she can go see Jesus in others. He wants to do this. And so we have to ask ourselves in this encounter, this face-to-face, this heart-to-heart encounter with Jesus, what do you want from me, Lord? And Jesus looks into your heart and he says, I want you. 
I want you just as you are. I don't want you on your best day, I want you on your worst days. I don't want the things that you provide, the things that you produce. I want the baggage. I want everything that you are. And I want to take that to myself. And I want to make you a saint. Not in spite of your brokenness, but in it, because it, of it, and through it. I want you to be the broken instrument that sings the song that only you can sing. I want you to sing that song so beautifully. We heard just a few weeks ago in the gospel that we are salt and light. I want you, Jesus says to us, to be that salt and light. Because I've placed you in that family, in that relationship, at that job. That's a gift from me to you. Why? So that you might shine and give flavor to everyone and everything you encounter there. To the parents and the spouses in this room, it is only you who can bring the love of Jesus to your wife, to your husband, to your children, as their spouse, as their parent. No other person in human history can do that. You can do that. Jesus comes to you. To those of you who are single or religious, Jesus comes to you and says, I have put you in that world. I have put you in those positions so that you can bring in your job, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your ministry, me to those people because only you can bring that there. Come to me, I will transform you in the Eucharist so that you can be me in those situations. St. Teresa of Avila has such a beautiful prayer that the eyes of Jesus now are your eyes, the hands of Jesus now are your hands, the heart of Jesus now is your heart, consumed and transformed by the Eucharist into Jesus, so that this world, so that these people, so that each and every one of us is constantly encountering, challenged, and being formed into something new and something beautiful. We need, therefore, then to really commit to bringing about a Eucharistic revival in my life, to prioritizing that encounter with Jesus. We need to go to Mass every Sunday. We need to make that the most important thing we do. We don't just go, walk in, walk out. We need to make that a commitment. When I was in Ethiopia years ago with Catholic Relief Services, now these are our Orthodox brothers and sisters, but the people will walk five, six hours to Mass. Go to Mass, stay for a couple hours, and then walk home. Where is our commitment to that kind of transformation in Jesus? Can we give that more not only to the Lord, but to our brothers and sisters in our parish and in our family? Can we get to Mass early so that when we get there, we can place on the altar our hearts? Because they want to, Jesus wants to transform those just as much as he desires to transform the bread and the wine. So that when we go to Mass, we too are changed because we are totally present and able to participate fully and actively. Can we look at the people in our lives like Jesus? In the rule of St. Benedict, St. Benedict encourages his monks to view the visitor, the guest, as if it were Jesus coming to your house. Mother Teresa would often encourage and exhort her sisters who she didn't think had seen Jesus in prayer to go back into the chapel so that they could see Jesus in the poor. Do we strive to see Jesus in the people we encounter every day? And in your most intimate relationships, and the people with whom you're involved with, walking with, and engaged with in your parish and in your family, how can you deepen that relationship? Talk about meaningful things. Give each other permission to be vulnerable, to be intimate, to be imperfect. To embrace the fact that I am in your life and you are in mine because God has a divine purpose here. 
Because we are meant to walk with each other to heaven. Not because either one of us is particularly good or perfect, but because God has a plan for us. Each and every one of us is chosen not to lead a parish ministry, but to bring the gospel into our particular circumstances in life. You are anointed and baptized for this in baptism. You were sent into this mission through the anointing of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. Jesus gives you the food for the journey in the Eucharist. It's all worth it. And I want to encourage you with this. It's all worth it for one person. St. James at the end of his letter says, he who brings back a sinner from a life of sin will, will save his own soul. It's worth it for one person. Be not afraid to go deep, to invest, to show that person the love that Christ shows to you and to each and every person. It magnifies the audacity of God's love, not only for you, not only for me, but for the whole church. And so I want to leave you with a couple pieces of advice. Take risks for Jesus. Don't be afraid to fail. 90% of my ministerial success comes from the fact that we had abject failure. Our first retreat was a total disaster. But we took the risk, we learned our lessons. Now we have hundreds of students going on retreat every year. Go back to the moments in your life where Jesus touched you and changed your life and learn how to share those with other people and learn how to invite other people to share those moments with you. And perhaps on the most practical level, if you don't know where to start, find the holiest person that you know and have a cup of coffee with him or her. Grab some lunch. Spend some time together. And then if anything else, on a personal level, in a, as a child of God, as a Catholic, go to Mass every Sunday, pray every day, and go to confession every month. Jesus changes your life, not out there, but in an intimate encounter. The Eucharist consumes and changes us, oftentimes very slowly. But God has a plan. You are his plan. He loves you, and he has come here for you. He wants you, and he wants you to be on mission with him. Thank you. that I visited my brother who lived in Chicago and before I entered the Dominicans, he had a buddy of his living on his couch that summer. He was trying to make it this friend of my brother's as a writer of country music songs in Nashville. Eventually, he and a group of friends wrote one of the biggest and hottest selling country songs of all time. No joke. And I saw this friend of my brother's at my brother's wedding and I was asking him about that. I said, here you were just with your friends, playing music, writing a song. Did you know in that moment that you were writing what was gonna be this smash hit song? And he said, we knew it was a good song, but we were just playing and having fun. So often in our life, the things that are most important, the things that transform us or that change our life almost instantaneously come about in exceptionally ordinary circumstances. 
Think, for instance, of the time that you met your husband or your wife. My parents went to Mass on Holy Thursday. I don't think they expected to meet their future spouse, but they did. Oftentimes, almost all the time, frankly, God reveals his extraordinary love for us in the most ordinary situations, in ordinary circumstances, in things that we've done myriad times before. And one of the great blessings of the Holy Mass, sometimes we see it as uh, something that's not great about Mass, but something that's so wonderful about it is that it's, it's, it's the same. No matter where you go in the world, if you go to Holy Mass, you have the same elements. And that then allows us, in the ordinariness of the Mass and its simplicity, to bring our lives and our hearts to seek transformation, not in the spectacle, but in the simplicity of God's love for us. Because in one way, I talk a lot about this with our college students, Holy Mass is the anti-spectacle, and especially a time of Eucharistic adoration. In a world that is trying to win your attention constantly, when we go to Mass, it is simple, it is still, it is quiet, it is prayerful, it is reverent. And it's in that God finds us and transforms us. Because at Mass, what happens? We are privileged witnesses of the Paschal Mystery. In a few moments, we will be at Calvary with Jesus. We will be at the resurrection with Jesus. We will be in the upper room with Jesus. We will step outside of time. He will be present to us. St. Augustine, in meditating upon this encounter with God, says, O beauty ever ancient, ever new, I sought you outside of me, but you were within me. And as we prepare to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, as we prepare to hear his word in the scriptures and encounter his presence in this Eucharistic sacrifice of the altar, may we seek that God who is ever ancient and ever new, who is within us even though at times we seek him without. The Mass, because of its simplicity, has the power to change us. This is why it is the source and the summit, especially the Sunday Mass of the Christian life. In the early church, they were persecuted in Carthage, and they were told if you come to Mass next Sunday, you will, put, you will be put to death. So what did they do? They went to Mass the next Sunday. And the magistrate challenged them, why would you do such a crazy thing? I have to kill you all now. And they said, sine dominico non pulsimus. Without Sunday, without the Lord's banquet, we are capable of nothing. Not because it's an extraordinary experience, but because of the one who comes to us there. He is extraordinary. He desires to change me. He is there. And today on this solemnity of the Annunciation, we celebrate the power in which God comes to the ordinary. A simple virgin girl asleep, alone, and God comes to her and becomes incarnate. Not in some fanfare thing, not in some big Broadway show tune, but in the silence of her bedroom and in the silence of her heart. We too, like Mary, are chosen, and we too, like her, have the choice. What will your response be when Jesus 
comes to you. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, bring him your heart, bring him everything, your strengths, your weaknesses, your joys, your pains. Ask him to open your eyes, your ears, and your soul to the word that he desires to plant in your heart this afternoon. Offer him your life. God is never outdone in generosity. What little we are able to offer the Lord, he gives back not a hundredfold, but a thousandfold. He gives back infinitely. And perhaps most promptly today, or most particularly today, say with Mary, let it be done to me according to your will, Lord. Let it be done to me according to your will. Those words saved and changed humanity. Your yes and my yes too can do so. It was so wonderfully, even though I don't understand Spanish, so beautiful to see a young person getting up here giving a testimony. Isn't that wonderful? It's a reminder to us that every life, every testimony, every one of our experiences cherished is valuable, is marvelous, is necessary. It reminds us that none of us are, are incapable of making an impact. All of us, in fact, make a tremendous impact. Our simple witness, our simple fiats, our simple, let it be done to me according to your word, Lord, those are what change the world because of the greatness of God who makes those simple gifts great, who makes my simple offering something that is magnified and glorified. And I cannot help but think, especially after watching that young man give that testimony, of how blessed Carlo Acutis, one of the new young blesseds in the church, a young boy from a little town in Italy who gave his life to the Lord in the Eucharist, who died at a young age, but whose life and whose witness lives on forever. Why? Because he offered himself to Jesus. And because he recognized in his short but powerful life that everything he did could draw him closer to Jesus in the Eucharist and that when he received Jesus in the Eucharist, it was so that he could share him with others. He said in his life that our goal must be the infinite, not the finite. The infinite is our homeland and heaven has been waiting for us forever. And the Eucharist is the highway to heaven. The Eucharist, blessed Carlo tells us, is the highway to heaven. A simple mass, simple gifts, simple people offered to Jesus, transformed, and set on a new path. What a tremendous opportunity it is for each and every one of us today to join Blessed Carlo, to join the Blessed Virgin Mary, to join the saints who have gone before us, the saints who are among us, with Jesus in the Eucharist on the highway to heaven. God bless you all.